Welcome to Nostalgiology. Nostalgiology. My name is Candace Hudson. My name is Andrew Loy. And we are here to send information through your ears and into your noggins. And then to your heart. And then <laughs> and then to your heart. Yes. Nostalgiology, or the study of nostalgia, yes. will be Andrew and I going through some of our favorite childhood films, mostly animated, and sort of picking them apart. Everything from the vocal actors to the animators to how well it did at the box office, because we're concerned with things like that, yes. um, as well as trivia you may or may not know. The reason why you should listen to us is because we are likely from your generation. We are two aspiring writers <laughs> living in Los Angeles. Uh, don't get excited. It's not exciting. It's not exciting. We're not there yet. No. Um, I am merely an assistant. I'm also merely an assistant. And and we're merely assistants. Assisting so other better people. We we go in the trenches every week and come out very exhausted. Uh, yes. So sometimes the thing that helps us relax the most is reflecting back on... Our youth. Our youth. We were one day talking very passionately about... A goofy movie. Oh, yeah. A long-forgotten gem of cinema. But we were talking about it with such passion to the extent that one of my roommates suggested that we start this very exciting podcast. Yeah, she really blew up our egos when she said she could listen to us all night talking uh, about a goofy, goofy movie. movie. Yeah. That, 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 it honestly, it started more of a problem than a podcast. Yes. Nostalgiology, unfortunately, cannot be found in a dictionary. It's not a word. It's a feeling as we referenced your heart before, a feeling that manifests itself through memory. Whether it's film, television, music, animation, or other media, our job is to rewatch it, get really emotional, and talk about it to you. If nothing else, maybe we can help you win Disney Trivia Night at your local bar or hangout. This week, our first week, we're talking about the catalyst of Disney's animated film renaissance, The Little Mermaid. Here's a logline. A troubled sea witch is unfairly banished by a tyrant ruler whose idiot daughter is ruining the kingdom by loving uh, humans. Ah, humans. The worst. Alternately, after selling her voice to a wicked sea witch, a headstrong mermaid princess has three days to get a human prince to fall for her or risk losing everything. Everything. Under the sea. Yes. Yikes. We have a little light history. Uh, this is a fairy tale adaptation by... Hans Christian... Hans Christian Andersen. Hans mm -hmm. Christian Andersen. Yep. The name was not written down. <laughs> uh, and it is the first fairy tale adaptation from Disney since Sleeping Beauty back in 1959. Yeah. Disney has quite a reputation for adaptations because they're successful. Let's take a look at the box office numbers for The Little Mermaid. Uh, at its first release, it made just short of $112 million in the United States. Uh, that number all time since 1989 when it was released has reached $521 million. Worldwide, it had an opening of about $212 million, so another $100 million on top of that opening. And the budget was $40 million. Now, the cool thing about Little Mermaid is that it spurned a couple of spinoffs. A lot of spinoffs. It was so popular. It had a TV series that was released a few years later in 1992, and it was a sequel. It was a prequel series about her adventures under the sea. I think her sisters were involved in it a little more. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, then there was the actual sequel, Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea, 
taking place, uh, released in 2000, which is about her daughter, uh, who has the reverse ambition to go oh, underwater. okay. And then there was the uh, prequel, another prequel, Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning, released in 2008, uh, I don't know what that one's about, but apparently it contradicts the prequel TV series <laughs> in certain ways. That and sounds co- about right. And, of course, there is the wonderful Broadway adaptation. In addition to prequels, sequels, and other series, there have also been really crazy, hilarious things to develop out of The Little Mermaid, such as uh, one Twitter account that has now just returned to be the comedian's account. Mm. Um, but for a long time, we had Hipster Mermaid, Ariel with Photoshopped Ray-Ban eyeglasses over her face saying things like voices are too mainstream traded mine for a pair of legs or i wanted to be part of your world before your world was cool with all good films in general not just disney films it's the characters that really sort of stick up stick out to us Mm -hmm. stick out to us and stick with us after we leave the theater yes so and there are many memorable characters who makes this story memorable right we have sebastian the Jamaican crab conductor, who I personally feel, and we'll talk about this later, is the true hero of the story. Oh, yeah. There's also Ariel, that teenager. Ah, uh, she's young. Her perception is a little skewed. But that's just us old fuddy-duddies yeah. talking. They don't reprimand their daughters on the surface. No, they fa- don't. my favorite line from Part they of Your don't. World. Yeah, her crab in shining armor is yet to be, yet to be shown. Yeah. Let's see. Scuttle. Speaking of crazy, what a misunderstood goober. The true Arthur Weasley of the story, fascinated by a different kind of plug. Fishing plugs. <laughs> and then there's Ursula. Ursula. I'm not laughing anymore because this woman made me ink. Well, she is truly terrifying. And then there's Andrew's favorite favorite, the chef. chef. Or Louis. He just wants to cook, man. Yeah, he, he goes through a lot of struggles. I know. Yeah. Prince Eric. I remembered him being kind of more bland, but he's actually... He has some depth. He's kind of awesome in this script. Yeah, his first job isn't to save the princess necessarily. He first saves his crew from a storm, and he has hobbies. He plays the flute, he's got a dog, a beautiful dog Dog. named Max. Which he saves from his burning ship. So not only the crew, but his pupper. Mm. Uh, He's humble, he's picky, and he's got both of those things in common with a few other characters later down the Disney road. Who helps to make these characters memorable? Voices. Yes, not just the voices in your head, but voice actors. Oh, Oh, not, oh. The people behind the mic. Oh. Like us? Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. We're famous already. We got Jodie Benson, the voice Ariel. She reportedly recorded part of your world in the dark to simulate the feeling of being underwater. So the next time you listen to that song, just think there was more than just belting and hitting the right notes going into into Jodie's process with that. Also, fun fact... She's really famous for singing, and Ariel's famous with her voice in the story. This is actually her only song huh. in the whole movie. Interesting. Anyway, she's an awesome Broadway actress. She starred in Smile, a musical with lyrics by Howard Ashman, whom we also know as the lyricist for The Little Mermaid Yeah, and other movies. He, oh, he's a great guy. We'll talk about more of him later on. We also have Pat Carroll, the voice of Ursula. Dead, just iconic. That voice. Uh, it's rumored that B. Arthur was once offered the part for Ursula and turned it down, but that's okay because she's still one of our favorite golden girls. Yeah. 
Uh, we've got Christopher Daniel Barnes voicing Eric. Um, he's been in a various oh. number of gaming. Right. And a lot of Spider-Man games as various Spider-Men. Okay. Which was interesting. So Prince Eric is Spider-Man. Yes. I'll buy it. That makes sense if you think about it. Or if you don't think about it, it just makes sense. Samuel E. Wright, the voice of Sebastian, and who voiced Sebastian in a lot of adaptive media afterward. Yeah, he kept on keeping on. You got uh, Buddy Hackett as Scuttle. An awesome character actor from the 50s and 60s. Frank Welker as Max the Sheepdog. Yeah. Who <laughs> voiced Fred Jones from Scooby-Doo since 1969 and is the current voice of Garfield as well as the voice of Megatron from some Transformers adaptations. True. Frank Welker went on to voice Abu, Raja, and the Cave of Wonders in Aladdin. Rene Aubergenois as Chef Louis. Yeah. Not a not a lot of spoken lines, but probably one of the most iconic songs in the film. I know Andrew really cares about it. It's uh, the best. So let's see. In the realm of animation, what's different from previous films that The Little Mermaid brings to the table? So there's an enormous amount of hand-drawn bubbles in this film. Uh, this Little Mermaid was the last to use traditional hand-painted cell animation. It's uh, kind of neat if you look back through Disney history... Um, mostly women painted the cells in animation, hmm. um, sort of putting the finishing touch onto Disney films from Snow White all the way up to Little Mermaid, what we're talking about today. Right. This was the first film to start using CAPS, a computer-assisted production system. Drawings were scanned, inked, and colored all by computer. Fun fact, this system was developed by... Pixar. And Pixar will be quite an important topic as we go on through Disney's history of animated films. Right. Uh, one last thing on animation before we move on to music. Uh, Kate Nielsen, the illustrator of so many of Hans Christian Andersen's original tales, was brought in by Walt Disney in the 1930s to render drawings for The Little Mermaid. Yes, this movie has been in the works since the 30s. It was planned for a much earlier debut, right. actually as a follow-up. To Snow White. To Snow White. Right. One of the most distinctive things to come out of the Disney Renaissance was the music. Yeah. Um, Howard Ashman had been hired to do a song for Oliver and Company by Disney. Uh, he took a look at the Little Mermaid's outline and suggested a character change to our crab in shining armor, yes. creating the Sebastian we know today, which led to the development of Under the Sea and the Little Mermaid becoming more of a Broadway-type musical. Yeah. And who was Howard Ashman's partner? Alan Menken. Oh, yeah. Who was hired with Ashman on the success of The Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, he won 1989. He won He won the whole they year. They won 1989. They won. they won the 1989 Oscar for Best Score for this film. They beat out... Indiana Jones, the third one. Uh, Born on the Fourth of July, which was by John... Both by John Williams. Uh, Feel the Dreams by James Horner and the fabulous Baker Boys. They also won an Oscar for Best Song. Under the Sea. Yes. Kiss the Girl was nominated as well. So they kind of dominated that category. Which I find interesting that that was the one that was also nominated. I mean, who can resist the sha-la-la-la-las? I just thought it was cool that Sebastian used a reed as a microphone. That's true. He, he rode an entire reed down close to the water and crooned. <laughs> the, the sea. <laughs> yes. Sitting there across the way. Indeed. Anyway. We should just leave her alone. So what's your favorite, Andrew? Song? Yeah, what's your favorite song? It's a tie. Oh! It's a tie. It's between Poor Unfortunate Souls 
which is a very me song to like. It's it's my favorite Disney villain song. Okay. Of the whole roster of villains. It's just so it starts off so slow and then it gets so crazy towards the end. It's so good. And Les Poissons, which is kind of a villain song because he's trying to kill Sebastian. It's definitely it's a recipe for disaster, ah, you might say. Yes. We know through Sebastian that he is always afraid of being cooked. Like oh, we, yeah. we learn that in Under the Sea, we learn that through other things. He's kind of afraid of the surface world of being eaten. Mm-hmm. And then It's a legitimate fear. And then he is shoved in a room. With Chef Louis. With Chef Louis, and boy, do they get to town on each other. I actually like part of your world. It's sort of a call and response between Ariel and herself. She seems to be a bit of a loner, despite having six sisters. Um, She needs someone else who can sort of understand her fascination with the surface and, you know, everything from her lines. You want thingamabobs, I've got 20 to trying to trying to interpret the outside world. What's a fire and and why does it burn? burn? That that's sort of something that I feel like we all went through as kids too. Sort of a childlike fascination with the outer world connects me to that song. Yeah. What about least favorites? Do you have a least favorite of the film? <sighs> it's tough though cuz they're all pretty good. Ursula was scary to me. So Poor Unfortunate Souls isn't a least favorite, but it, I think the combination of that song with the visuals, right. with the sad little seaweed souls that she had already taken, really got under my skin. And then there was like, when it came to later on with the signing, there was like the ghost hands too. Yes. It was some freaky was, imagery. That's why I liked it. It was successful. <laughs> no, I think this, The Little Mermaid is probably one of the most successful films to get a true visceral response out of me. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean... Like, I'm weeping, leaving the theater and, like, trying to fix my makeup and that sort of thing. This is when Chef Louis is after Sebastian, when he's trying to stuff a crab. Like, it just, I'm scared, too. I'm grossed out by the seaweed and the different things about the ocean. So another thing that Andrew and I thought might be uh, interesting or cool to talk about is how these movies are a part of that Disney world and where it stands in history. So first we want to take a look at... Who manned the ship. Who manned the ship. Well, the president at the time of the company was Frank Wells. Uh, He was previous to this president and later vice chairman for Warner Brothers. There was also, behind behind the wheel, was CEO Michael Eisner, who's a name you might have heard of. Uh, He was previously the president and CEO of Paramount. Uh, he he had also worked in NBC, CBS, and ABC before Disney bought ABC. Moving on to Chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg, and the cats is definitely out of the bag. We will be bringing up this guy quite a bit. He previously worked with Eisner at Paramount, and lastly, our vice chair and our nephew of Walt Disney, Roy E. Disney. So these were the guys that were hanging around influencing the Disney Renaissance Mm -hmm. before and after and during it occurred. So influential moments. What are the poster moments in this movie? Um. (laughs) We gave this one a funny name just because Mm -hmm. we talked about it so much. In the sequence of Part of Your World, there's a moment where Ariel in her grotto, if you will, is spiraling up toward the surface, but it's just out of reach. Jodie Benson, amazing voice actress and singer that she is, has this sighing, stuttering moment in her voice as she's 
reaching for something that she can't quite touch that really just makes the movie super emotional. Yep. And, uh, we call that emotion spiraling in the grotto. That emotion, you're spiraling in the grotto. Yeah. Les Poissons is so well done and terrifying. I think one of the hardest things about learning how to cook is realizing is realizing that there are sharp things. Seeing all of those actually used as weapons against uh, Sebastian, whom we all love so much in Les Poissons, definitely uh, gave, gave me a visceral reaction. There's also other influential moments that ring out to me now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I mean, it it's a it's a small reprise of part of your world. It's after she saves Eric, and then she's on the rock oh. and pushes up, and then like the waves yes. sort of crash behind her. That's a famous scene when Ursula increases in size when mm. they're fighting the big bad, and, and you she, have that upper camera angle yeah. of watching her rise up, and she's maniacally laughing Dang. and lit from below. Is she? If she wasn't scary to you before, she is now. You know that woman means some witchy business. I also think, uh, I know we knocked on Kiss the Girl a little bit, but the moment towards the end where they're like circling in the canoe and then there's like the fireflies everywhere. Yes. Like when the, the song's the crescendoing. Fish, the fish are spouting up little water. It, honestly, it looks like a, a fancy fountain that Prince Eric and Ariel are spiraling in yes there they go again with the spiraling they're in a boat this time though so those are some influential moments that you may remember and relate to let's get in to trivia that trivia night at the bar isn't gonna win itself nope no this is what you're here for one weird fact about this film part of your world the song was almost cut Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh here we bring him up yep katzenberg uh, at one of the first screenings of the film, Part of Your World didn't quite test well with the, uh, with the audience. It was Chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg's idea to actually cut the song, but other animators and filmmakers convinced him to do so otherwise, um, citing that MGM had almost made the same mistake back in the 40s of removing Somewhere Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz, and we know how important that song is. And guess what? Part of Your World went on to be just as iconic. Maybe yeah. not just as iconic, but iconic as well. Right. In addition to... Well, it's it's both, both you know, female protagonists longing for home or for... Something better. Something better. Something more. Somewhere over the grotto. Okay, another cool thing about Ariel is watching how her hair... Uh, interacts with the ocean or flows underwater. They actually studied astronaut Sally Ride's hair behavior in zero gravity to get this right or to get an idea of how they wanted to animate it. Ursula was designed to look like Divine, a drag queen, and her personality and actions were inspired by previous villain Madame Medusa from The Rescuers. Ursula at one point was going to be revealed as Triton's sister in development, but I believe that got cut from the film. For timing reasons, I believe. Yes. But I think it works... I don't know if it works better without the reveal, but I think it works without it. It, like, still, it still works. Yeah. An evil sea witch, and I think uh, at one point when Triton is defeated in the film, she has this moment where she says, finally? Yeah. Or it seems like she's having this moment of, finally, I get... Triton's Triton. I get his crown, his power. So if if it had been revealed that she was Triton's sister, it might have been powerful in a different way. Finally, I'm better than him. Yes, that still works. Right. 
let's get into some discussion. Discussions. Uh, Andrew brought up an interesting point earlier in the iconic moments of the film of uh, Ariel's Part of Your World reprise, where she is on the rock and the sea is rushing up behind her and splashing. It, to me, almost seemed like she was connected to the sea and might have similar powers that she had inherited from her father. Uh, And I definitely want to hear Andrew's take on Sebastian's role. Sebastian is, like I said earlier, he is the true hero of the story. I mean, Ariel, yeah, Ariel's protagonist and she's trying to get Eric to fall in love, but she really couldn't have done it without his help. And he uh, also kind of goes through this major arc, this major change throughout the story. At first, he's very against humans. He's very strict on Ariel. Uh, He's in a way kind of more, he's more strict in some ways than Triton, I would say. But then, but he definitely loves her. Mm -hmm. He loves Ariel. And then when she gets her legs at the end of the first first half an hour, while Ariel... Uh, is trying to get uh, Eric to fall in love with her. That's all she wants. Sebastian goes through this whole character arc and shift throughout the story using his powers of music, which he had in the beginning for the Daughters of Triton song and for Under the Sea, and he uses it to help her in Kiss the Girl, which is why I think Kiss the Girl is a very important moment of the movie for his character, even if I don't like the song that much, because he's trying. he truly loves her and he's trying to help her not turn into a weird seaweed thing that Ursula would turn her into if she failed. Yeah, that'd be pretty bad. Yeah. He's a trooper. He tries. Sebastian. The unsung hero. He's also very cowardly <laughs> in the beginning, and then towards the end, he, like, pinches Ursula right in the nose, right in the schnoz. Speaking of Ursula's demise, let's talk about the way she was defeated. I hated it. Yeah? I did not like it, actually. I don't remember I don't remember the big fight sequence very much as a kid. Just because this movie legitimately scared me. Right. So yes, um Prince Eric does this really cool thing with a ship. Right. More spiraling. More spiraling. More spiraling. Above the grotto. But Ursula casts this weird spell and thing like the ship ends up rising because of the ocean currents. And then Eric gets on it. Being the super cool prince that he, he is, is. And just drives the ship right into her. Effectively stabbing her? Right. In a sense. Oh, in, in a literal no, stab. Effectively stabbing her um, and defeating the sea witch. Right. I, well, it is an, uh, it is an awesome sequence. I, I personally don't like it because I kind of wanted Ariel to do it. Hmm. Not, not necessarily to drive a ship in, into Ursula, but like to, to defeat her somehow right. or to help more. To have sort of, you know, she signed on for this. She should be the one to... Just, yeah, this was her mistake signing with the Sea Witch. It's her fault because this was all part of Ursula's plan to get to Triton. So it's all her fault. So she should be the one to, to sort of remedy it. Okay. But instead, during the sequence when Eric is driving the ship, like Ariel's like pinned like in like this whirlwind at, on the ground, and Ursula's just kind of like shooting at her with the with lightning from mm-hmm. the Triton, like pew pew, and that's kind of it. Ariel, that's that's it. She's in a pretty bad position, right? But I would have liked her not in that position and punching Ursula in the face. There you go. There's something like that. Yeah, you got to use those fins. Do, do you agree or disagree or mm. upon reflection? Does, does the movie? Um, I agree because. While I think it's a really cool idea that 
you know, Ursula's causing all of these terrible things to happen with the sea. She resurrects Eric's old ship and he, he comes to the princess's rescue um, by ramming his ship into Ursula. I think at least something for me as I've started to to learn and write stories of my own with female protagonists, I found that having agency and taking not just responsibility, but measures to sort of finish what you started or to be strong enough to to reach your goal, to overcome defeat, I think is important. So I, I too would have liked to have seen Urs- Ursula be defeated more with Ariel involved. Right. And Scuttle should have. And Scuttle. Should've. I mean, he had so many other items from the human world. You think he could have mag- MacGyvered something? Would have been such a cool payoff. Seriously, if we saw his stash of like m- human items and there was like a sword or something crazy, something that he just happened to have, have? like a catapult or... Or, or or something, and then Ariel uses it. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think it would be that deus ex machina e Because I think because it's established of, of his it's true. wrong interpretation. He could, he could be like Fox the Phoenix. Right. In a sense of like, oh, yeah, here, Ariel, by the way, um, I had this harpoon. Harpoon? Oh, my gosh. That's what Eric does. Yeah. He harpoons Ursula. He swam really deep in the ocean to do that, too. Though. And then he had to throw it in the ocean. What? Yeah. I mean, massive strength on Eric's behalf. He is, he's awesome, actually. Um, so last couple of things we want to talk about the reversal of mundanity. Yes, that was something I wrote down because it sounded clever. Oh, well, basically, I just thought it was really interesting that I mean, when we are when when we're younger than Ariel, like when we, how old we would be when we'd be watching this film, we would I would fantasize about like fantastical elements like journeys and adventures and going to like crazy places and worlds with like fantasy creatures mm-hmm. right i mean that's yeah. a very child thing to sort of have like an imaginary world that you want to go to and for us being a mermaid or being in this sort of big underwater kingdom is really cool like to oh, us that sure. sounds awesome and that's something you'd want to vi- visit at the very least yeah you wish you could hold your breath forever just so you could sort of explore what's below right she wants to be part of our boring world <laughs> our part of the human world uh and up where we walk Run and s- I don't spend all day in the sun. I I sit inside and no, I wish it to easily. go away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, she thinks that's great. So I just think that reversal of what is mundane and what is sort of fantastical is sort of the focal point of. Yeah, it's of, a cool perspective. Yeah, it's it's really well done. So that's sort of the overall scope of The Little Mermaid, uh, a movie that upon rewatch I still really enjoyed. Uh, even at the age that I'm at. Um, it holds up very well. I mean, I haven't watched it pre like a decade yeah. <laughs> or so. Yeah. Yeah. Which would just put us at 2006. Isn't right. that freaky? Yeah, it is freaky. Um, We're old. If you do not own The Little Mermaid, uh, you can find this film at movies.disney.com. Then you've got Amazon Video, iTunes, and of course any of your local retailers that carry DVDs. If they don't have it, they might be able to order it for you. Mm. That's the cool thing about customer service. Indeed. And speaking of service, we should credit Movie Phone. And IMDb and Wikipedia for some of the information that we've provided you, both for behind the scenes and other trivia nonsense. Yes, and Disney, of course, for the fantastic film and our moms for being there. Aww. Thanks, Mom. 
Thanks, ma'am. So what's next for Nostalgiology, Candice? It's Aladdin, which is probably my favorite uh, Disney Renaissance film. So stay tuned. tuned. To Nostalgiology. Ooh. I like that. Me too. And thank you for listening. Disney has. <laughs> right. And if she sang in Kiss the Girl, that'd be a little awkward. Just kiss me. Kiss me now. Idiot. You jerk. <laughs>